Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Gargoyle Podcast. I'm Nathan, a.k.a. the Gargoyle, and with me once again is Adam. Greetings and salutations, young <laughs> and old listeners from near and far. I, I don't know if I have any old listeners. <laughs> I don't know if you have any near and far <laughs> listeners either. I don't know if I have any <laughs> listeners. I would like to think there's just like some 80-year-old dude, though, just like, oh, the next episode of the Gargoyle, my favorite. I've been waiting between my bowel movements. <laughs> oh. This will be a good one. I don't know how it I, turned from like young Southern to whatever you had, but I crotchety old prospector. <laughs> that is my go-to old man accent. There you go. Is, uh, is the prospector? He comes out from the mine to listen to <laughs> the podcast. I would love it if that actually happened. I, yes, I would too. So, if there's any really old people out there listening to this, let me know. Um, and yeah, let me know. Bonus if you're a mine worker, too. <laughs> Gold mine, not coal mine. That's right, yes. Yes, we, we don't want that stigma. No, no. I, I want, like, the old timey, like, out in California, still hoping to hit it rich by digging in the coal mine. Or like, the uh, gold mines. Like putting the little tray in the water and shaking it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, that's it. That's that, it. That is my target audience. Yes. So we're already really far off topic. <laughs> Didn't even get through the intro. <laughs> So we uh, we're continuing with our Harry Potter coverage, and tonight we just finished watching uh, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, Year Three. Mm. Yes, and I I realized when we were watching this, this is the um, fourth time that you and I have watched a Harry Potter movie in the last five months. <laughs> that is true. That that's got to be some sort of record. I I guess. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because we. The whole reason why we got on this subject was we originally watched on Halloween and then we revisited in December talking about how much fun we had watching that movie, which a whole lot of old things. So really, The Prisoner of Azkaban is the reason why we're doing this. Right. And it is one of my favorite of the Harry Potter movies. Yeah. And <clears throat> so I know that I said that I was going to try to read the books. I am way far behind on that. So, yeah, once again, all of the book referencing and knowledge is going to be coming from you because... I still haven't even read the second one yet. <clears throat> yeah, I'm very yeah. far behind. Well, I mean, uh, in fairness, the books get larger as they go on. Sure. I mean, except for the Half-Blood Prince, that one is definitely smaller. I think Goblet of Fire might actually be the largest. But anyway, uh, yeah. I actually, this is this was my least favorite movie um, of, of the, I don't want to say the whole series, because the Half-Blood Prince, I really think they butchered that story too. But the more I watch it, the more I like it, which is an interesting kind of turn. Um, I don't know. It was like this weird, still kid-like, but then all of a sudden dark, and I feel like it was hard for me to figure out what tone they were going for. Watching it this time, though, with more of a critical eye, knowing we're talking about it, is definitely uh, it definitely brought a new perspective and appreciation for the movie that I saw tonight. Well, and that's actually one of the things that I love about it, the whole, like, it got darker, but it still has some of that childlike wonder. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's part of why I love this one so much, is the first two, like, yeah, they're fun, but... I, I don't know. There's something... and they, I mean, they get dark. The whole, yes. like, having uh, Voldemort in the back of Rose's head. <laughs> sure. And um, with yeah. the, uh, the Basilisk, definitely some dark stuff going on. Yeah. But, I don't know, maybe it's because the actors were still so kid-like. Mm -hmm. And since I didn't read the books when I was a kid, mm -hmm. I started watching them when I was a bit older. Yeah. Like, it was harder for me to, um, like, identify mm -hmm. with Harry and Ron as much. Yeah. But in year three, they seem at least a little bit older. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. so young, but mm-hmm. it... Yeah, I mean, no, you definitely start to see that. And I think um, I think overall for, for the theme of the movie, this is really the last movie that they can return to Hogwarts the next year and things still be considered normal. Right. You know, like, obviously bad things happen in the second movie with the basilisk and you know there's going to be this this trauma the shared trauma between Jenny and Harry that that is just kind of always going to be there but there's always hogwarts but at the end of the fourth movie spoiler alert <laughs> uh, oh right yeah in yeah. case we haven't touched on that once again major spoilers we're going to be talking about this movie in depth we're going to be referencing the books we're going to be mentioning later movies so if for some reason you were listening to a podcast devoted to harry potter and the entire series and know nothing about it uh major spoilers and shame on you for jumping into the third in the series of the podcast not (laughs) some of the other ones that have the spoilers as well but but i mean again if we have the coal miner from the mountains joining us then i mean you know things are just different so sure. um anyway so so yes uh, yeah. well, book 4 yeah but book 4 you know they they go and the big ending of the book is basically voldemort comes back and harry sees death in front of him which sets up a whole another narrative of the other movie of why he can see um the thestrial thest I don't remember how they're pronounced, but Thessrials, Thessials, the thing that pulls the carts that are invisible uh, to yeah, those who have not seen that, death in front um, of them. The thing that, um, like Luna, Luna yeah. is able to see. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but from the point of, of ending four, you know that if Harry's going back, like there's no way it's going to be the same because he has a stigma attached to him. Like people think he might've killed Cedric. Maybe he didn't, but either way, there's this whole enmeshed thing, but they can really go back from this third movie and the the students know something happened with Buckbeak and Sirius, but it's not directly pinned to Harry. But so this is really the last movie where I would say the innocence is still intact at the end of it. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and there's there is a lot of comedy mm-hmm. in um, Prisoner of Azkaban, but it, it's, I don't want to say that it's the most horror-ish, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of horror elements. Yeah. Like watching it as a horror movie, you can pull a lot of those tropes. Sure. Um which, you know, I love horror movies, so for yes. me it's like, oh man, this is really, really good, Yeah, but it's also still a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and speaking of comedy, and since you mentioned Buckbeak, <laughs> yes. I did not realize until tonight, one of my favorite parts in the entire series, <laughs> the CGI animators took the time to have Buckbeak poop. Yes. Buckbeak <laughs> makes a deposit on Hogwarts grounds. <laughs> Yes, I... <laughs> when, when Harry's approaching him, and I don't know if I saw it or I uh, heard it, but as he's walking towards him, you hear, Pulp. yeah. <laughs> and so we rewound it, yeah. and Buckbeak drops a massive uh, hippogriff turn. Yes, two or three actually, <laughs> and I, I think I remember always hearing that noise and thinking it sounded out of place. My uh, my my technical movie side said maybe the foley artist just was hitting the wrong object but no you were right when we look back that extra that extra thud was sure enough a couple of massive turdlets coming out of the coming out of the the buck butt (laughs) oh my gosh yeah but how much do you think the cost of animating that how much like that was probably a fifty thousand dollar crap right there. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's not cheap to hire an animator to, to projectile. Anyway, sorry. God, I go on that. I just love the fact that they spent the time for that. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure later on, uh, when the bats are flying around in um, 
Hagrid's little yeah. hut. Pretty sure that one of the bats poops too. <laughs> but it's not as obvious. Yes, it's smaller. <laughs> so I I wonder if the person who was animating it was like, you know, we need to give a little bit more life to this. Yeah. What do animals do? You know what? Let's have him poop. Because yeah. he's part horse, and the horses are just, you know, go wherever they are. Yeah. Sure, let's add that in. That, that'll yeah. make sense. At inopportune times. Sadly, they never did that with the centaur people. Because wouldn't that have been a great a great, a great, great present to leave? I'd like to think that maybe they're a little bit more um, uh, intentional. Yeah, so you don't think they mark their territory? I think they do. But I don't think that they do like horses where they just plop as they walk. <laughs> yeah, you're probably like, right. They, they probably have a more dedicated space. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, but yeah, I, I wonder if it was an animator being intentional with it. Mm-hmm. Or if it was just some dude like me, like, <laughs> yeah, turds. <laughs> yeah, and like, what order did that come out of? Was, was it the animator that suggested it? Was it like uh, Chris Columbus, who was a producer that says, you know what we really need right here that will really sell this? We need this. I would love to have been in that meeting. Yes. <laughs> like, who suggested this? And how did it get all the way through the passing? Not that I don't appreciate it, but it is so random. <laughs> anyway, uh, so one thing that I noticed, oh, and man. again, this is just me getting fixated <laughs> on sound, is um, <laughs> the fact that, that the Lumo spell has a sound attached to it. Like, and I don't know why that this holds me up, but it's like nothing about light has any inherent volume and nothing about the other spells to me sound like they have any sound coming out of them either. Well, there actually were more in this one. I don't know if it didn't do that in the first couple of mm-hmm. movies and this is just like a gradual change yeah. uh, or if there was just a lot more sound editing with this, but there is more of a like glowing glistening humming mm-hmm. type of sound yeah i realize that the first two are more uh, visual than auditory mm, but sure yeah. yeah uh there is a sound with a lot more of the spells in this one and so like the uh the expecto patronum yeah um or yeah patronum. Yeah. yeah the uh there was a sound with that one okay so what sounded i don't remember that sound it was very similar okay yeah so it's the the like rub your finger around the wine glass kind of sound. Right, yeah. right, yeah. Yeah, yeah so maybe there was some relationship with that. I, yeah. Again, maybe it was just a, a sound design. Yeah, and maybe he'd watch Star Wars and be like, you know what we need for all these lights? We need sounds. <laughs> so, so let's go pull out wine glasses and water and see how we can illuminate. Yes. Yes. Uh, I, I'm glad that you brought that one up, though, because one of the things that I noticed during the... Uh, the scene where Harry is learning the Patronus spell is he tries it a few times and then finally is able to get it to happen. Mm-hmm. Very similar to how in the very beginning of the movie, he's practicing his Lumo spell. Yeah. So like those two uh, spell practicing sessions yeah. are sort of mirroring each other. Yeah. Um, which which I, I think is nice. I really enjoy it when mm-hmm. movies will take something very simple. Yeah. But give it some of that uh, parallels throughout the movie. Yeah. So it's like, oh, that seems familiar. Yeah. And we talked a little bit before we started recording about all the foreshadowing and it... I mean, you were the one that first kind of kind of pointed me to it, but yeah, there is a lot of of indicators early on of kind of where the movie's going and and what's going on. And I mean, I think you should share some of that because uh, I mean, it's it's really interesting to see it, watch the movie, and hear it, and then loop back to it. So uh, the one that probably stood out the most to me is when Ron is the, in the uh, when they're on the divination class, and Ron reads series teacup, and he's like. I, you're gonna suffer, but you're gonna be happy about it. 
<laughs> yeah. And, like, it's just kind of cast off, like, oh, Ron, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's about. just a really poor read, yes. But, like, that is the end of the movie. It is, mm. like, that entire time he is suffering not only um, when he's finding out that, um, that Sirius, like, when he thinks that Sirius is about to kill him, but then he finds out, oh, no, it wasn't you, it was this other dude. Mm. Um when he's getting attacked by the Death Eaters, or, sorry, the Dementors. Mm. So, like, there's a lot of suffering that's happening, Mm. but through all of it, he is regaining family, Mm. and he is getting closer, sort of, to the spirit of his parents, and he's gaining new magic powers. And so, as seemingly, like, terrible as Ron's uh, reading was, Mm -hmm. it was completely accurate. Yes, completely. And a legitimate prophecy from Professor Trelawney, which... Um, you don't get as much of this in the movies, but I mean, it is widely acknowledged by Dumbledore that she is a quack and she is a farce. But there is one thing that happens, well, in book six, I'm jumping a little bit ahead. <laughs> sure. But there is a legitimate prophecy when he goes to interview her. He was going to walk away and say no. And then she went into one of these weird fits and she just cast this prophecy out. And that was the moment that Dumbledore decided he wanted to hire her. So you basically see her not knowing at all what she's doing and just... And it, it's a big joke in the books, too, because basically they can't pass divination. Every time they try to legitimately predict, they'll say, oh, you know, you might run into some good fortune here. And she always, like, like gives them terrible grades for that. But as soon as they bring in death and devastation, then that's how it is. So at one point in time in the books, Harry and Ron are talking about, man, what are we going to do? Um, I haven't done my divination homework. And, and, and then Ron's like... Okay, well, I'll tell you what. So you die on Tuesday, and then <laughs> and then I I get I get my hands severed on Monday, but then when my hands getting severed, it turns into some sort of disease, and then so they're like going on these really these really ornate like ways to die, and then they go into the class, and then she applauds their their ability to foresee the future. So <laughs> unfortunately, you can't get a lot of that into the thing. But the the whole idea is she is like she does not know what she's doing, but. There is these distinct moments where there are, sure enough, legitimate prophecies that come out of it. And so I don't remember if this one was actually in the books because it's been a while since I read the third one. But um, but it, it was definitely true to her character that she would pull out something at the right time and then have no idea that she said it. Yeah, which uh, which she said to Harry when he was taking that crystal ball back up. Yeah. I forget exactly what she said, but she had that weird voice going on. Yeah. It's like, oh, right, yeah, that's that's what's going on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I feel so bad for Neville. <laughs> Poor like, guy. Neville, how's your grandmother? Uh, fine. Oh, I wouldn't be so sure about that. <laughs> I feel like Neville just gets the crap kicked out of him in every crap kicked out of him in every single every single movie. You yeah, know, he's like, great redemption in the end, but it takes a long time for this poor sap to get there. Yeah. Oh man. Which by the time that we uh, get to movie seven and eight, we can talk about whether or not Neville was actually the chosen, the chosen one. one. Yes, which, we might uh, even start that at, at number six when <laughs> there's a certain prophecy that comes to be. So from the farce, right? Yes. <laughs> but anyway, yes. No, I agree. Uh, uh, yeah. So there was Ron's prophecy um, mm-hmm. in that same. Well, right before that scene, when Hermione shows up. And um, I forget if it was Ron or Harry was like, when did you get here? Mm. And she's like, I've been here the entire time. And as mm. she's saying that, she's tucking the time turner yeah. like back into her robe yeah. and adjusting her robe. Mm-hmm. And it's very subtle. Like, mm-hmm. you probably wouldn't pick up on it beyond just, like, you know, someone putting their necklace away. Yeah. But rewatching it, it's just like, oh. Mm. Oh, right. Yeah. You, like, you are showing the audience, here is this thing that she just used in order to make this happen. Yeah. Which is really, really good movie techniques yeah. of, like, 
you know, putting it there for the audience. Mm-hmm. This is what's going on. Yeah. I wonder if, um, if he, if this wouldn't have been a book first, if they would have gone through that level of detail, for instance, I could see somebody doing that and you not knowing why that is until you get to the end of the movie. And then maybe when you rewatch it, you catch it again. But knowing that so many book people are going to be walking into it and they're going to know about the time turner ahead of time. I wonder if, if decisions like that is the reason why he did it, or if he's just that great of a director that will pay attention to the nuances. I, I'm sure that it's probably a little bit of both. Like knowing that you're trying to appease the uh, movie or the book audience you're in the third movie, so you have to be consistent enough with it, but also mm. you know, branching out a little bit. Yeah. So I'm sure that, that was part of it. Sure. But also, like, just standard uh, movie stuff is, like, you give the audience that. Mm. Even if it doesn't make any sense at the time, yeah. Rewatching it, it does. Sure. So like I, it's probably a little bit of yeah. yeah. I would imagine. I think I think the thing I like about this movie that, that is really different from the other ones is the element of time. And how there is this paradox, there are rules you still have to observe to it. Obviously, I like the movie Back to the Future, so I'm always interested in, like, you know, like, don't interact with yourself and whatever. And it's a shame that all-knowing Dumbledore doesn't go into what would happen if you did interact with yourself and blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, I really like that element. It's very, like, almost an element of sci-fi within the fantasy. Well, I guess it wouldn't be sci-fi because it's not tech, but you know what I mean. Like... It's really the only one that actually plays on that type of, like, an alternate timeline, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I really like that element that they pulled into it overall. Yeah, the the one thing that I don't like about them going back in time, because I, I do love it. And again, this is one of my favorites of the series. I always forget how long this movie is. Mm-hmm. And, like, when they're heading back to the castle, it's like... Oh, this feels like about the time the movie should be. Wait, no, they still have to go back and do all of this stuff oh, again. again. Yeah. From here on out, the movies feel really, really long. Mm-hmm. I know the books are getting longer, mm-hmm. but like the movies really start feeling like it. So, yeah, starting a movie late mm-hmm. can be difficult sometimes. Yes, <laughs> yes, it can. <laughs> Especially tonight with... wasn't too late. No, but uh, yeah, like trying to start a movie at eight. Yeah. You're not getting done till almost eleven. Yeah, no, it's very true, and I, and I think that it's it's really interesting the way that the movies are structured because there's so much information that obviously you can't keep in, and I, I have a tendency to harp on this every time, so you're probably like, oh gosh, here he goes again. Well, but, but it brings in a, a really good dynamic because, well, again, I haven't read the books, sure, but I mean that that's part of it. It's yeah. not just movies, sure, yeah, so, and yeah. I think. And it's the rich history and figuring out... It's really interesting to watch the movies knowing the books because then you have this history of, ah, okay, so they pulled this element. Why did they pick this one? Why did they disregard this one? And some of it I just know. The problem is there's 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 all these elements of just like fun and gradual character building that you don't get. I mean, we talked about the odd relationship with Harry and Jenny in the later books and how that just kind of comes out of nowhere where you actually see it. This one, on the other hand, is interesting because... You don't really see the development of Ron and Hermione this early, but there was a distinct shot where they showed a close-up of their two hands when Hermione was scared. She grabbed Ron's hand. You see him look down. He looks startled. Like, you kind of see some some Kindles there, which you don't really see, in, or at least I don't remember getting to that in the books. Now, if some book nerd out there wants to correct me, I'm sorry, book know-it-all wants to correct me, <laughs> by all means, please do. I don't mean to berate the audience before we get into it. Um, but uh, uh, leave it, stuff they left out, they have the significant stuff in the family scene at the beginning, but there's always like two or three chapters just full of stuff and how long Harry's at the Dursleys and how long he's trying to practice and, and all the things like, you know, you don't get to hear about, um, about, uh, what's, what's, oh, like I forgot the kid's name all of a sudden. What is it? 
Dudley? No. Dudley, yes. Yeah, yeah, Dudley. And how he's trying out a new diet and all of these things. That might be four. But, like, there's always this, this development and then the thing with Marge and how long she'd actually been there and how much interaction there had been back and forth. And then when Harry goes on the night bus and he gets to the Leaky Cauldron, well, in this movie, it's like, oh, you'll be going to Hogwarts the next day. Well, no, he has to stay confined in a room at the Leaky Cauldron for either seven or ten days. He can't leave because Sirius is on the loose and everybody knows why they're looking for him, but he doesn't. But he just has to stay in this thing. So he starts getting cabin fever. So they have to build like all this internal monologue of what he's going through. And it really kind of helps set the thing of why he's so miserable. Ron and Hermione haven't been communicating with, with him very much for whatever reason. And so it's just been this whole like he's felt isolated and alone and all these things and so you really get to get that sense of what he's going into which the movie obviously for reasons they can't keep it but there's a lot that just is bypassed and the the firebolt like uh, the whomping willow destroys uh you know his 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 nimbus 2000 or maybe it was 2001 (laughs) when he's you know flying and all that uh there are several quidditch matches that were significant in the book um but his his broom gets destroyed well he gets a new one over christmas break um but mcgonagall and uh and professor flitwick pull it from him and say that we don't know who this came from it might be jinxed and the only reason why they why they know he has it is because hermione didn't feel right about harry getting it without it being inspected so she went behind his back and told him that caused like (laughs) a, a silence and like a shunning of her and the friend group for a little while and then they come back so he misses like two or three quidditch matches because his broom can't be ridden because they think something's wrong with it. And then he finally gets it back of the last match, and then they go through all of that stuff. But, yeah, so the way they changed it, they gave him his broom back, obviously, but it was a total roundabout way, and it's really just this subtle nod to, okay, he has a broom now, versus it actually playing significance in the story of when he got it, how he got it, how it's tied to Sirius and and what it feels. And and that's the thing. It's not just about, okay, he has his broom now. Mm -hmm. It's more of that bringing closure to, uh, to letting Harry know... Sirius is still alive, Sirius still cares about him, mm-hmm. you know, the entire first half of the movie was, this person is out to kill you, yeah. and so it's more about bringing closure to that piece sure. than it is about, okay, well, I need a new broom. Sure. Um, and, yeah, some of that stuff, I mean, we talk about this pretty much every time, some mm-hmm. of that just has to change mm-hmm. for the movie. Sure. So, like, even when you're going through, they spend, like, three chapters on the Dursleys, mm-hmm. yeah, but how much that matters. Yeah. You well, know, yeah, exactly. like after the first, well, maybe I guess still some of the second movie, but mm-hmm. pretty much after the first movie, why do the Dursleys even matter? Yeah. Like they're there just as another stumbling block for everything else that he has to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm... so it's almost just like, ah. Yeah. D- do you need that much? No, you you don't. It, it It doesn't, it doesn't, the story survives without it. But, and again, the reason why I advocate for the book so much, which is crazy because I'm not a very big reader at all, is that the richness of the character and the thoughts behind the way Harry thinks, why it's so miserable. Yeah, you see the Dursleys, you can tell they're terrible people, but to live in that for like, you know, 20 or 30 pages and just hear about the berating, all of that stuff, to know that he has to keep going back, you start to feel like the oh wow he has to go back into that again like it it has so much more impact when you're brought back to it well now that is true like uh with with year three like he leaves pretty quick Mm -hmm. you know he's just like all right fine i'm gone yeah you know i'm 13 i'm running away Mm -hmm. which yeah sure fine whatever he's 13 running away yeah 
But yeah, that does make sense. If you're spending that much time as the reader mm-hmm. engaging with, these are terrible people. Mm-hmm. Then by the time you get to the third book, you're like, oh my God, I would yeah. run away. Yeah. Oh, he's running away. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's do that. Let's run away. And then it brings back to, you know, is is Dumbledore a horrible person for sticking him there? Yes. You know? And, yeah. And they're actually, I think it's book six. They actually bring a reason. He admits to why he did that and why it had to happen and blah, blah, blah. I still think it's, well, anyway, we can, we can talk about that later. <laughs> We, I am sure that is a thing that we will continue yes. to touch on. Yeah, uh, but speaking of Dumbledore and his just cryptid turdness, uh-huh. why does it, so many of, you know, like the wise old wizard, you know, mm-hmm. Gandalf, Dumbledore, whatever, they all do the, I'm going to say something cryptic. Mm-hmm. And, and you're going to know what I mean, because... Yeah. And like with Dumbledore... I, sometimes I question why does he do that so much? I know sometimes it's mm-hmm. plausible deniability. Sure. Like, I never actually told you to go back in time and save Buck Beacon Sirius, yeah. so... Like, at the end of the movie, yes. Right. Like, yeah. that makes sense. Sure. Even though, who else was around? So, like, why did he have yeah. to play coy with it? Uh-huh. And so, like, I get that sometimes mm-hmm. has to just say, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Sometimes I think that it's, like, to teach the person a lesson. Mm-hmm. Like, sometimes I do think it's... I want them to learn from this and grow from it. Sure. You know, I could just tell them I'm not going to get in trouble for it, but it's kind of like, um, like if a kid acts up in a classroom, mm-hmm. if you're like, what did you do wrong? Mm-hmm. You know, like if you just yeah. say, sit down, do your homework, it's a little bit different from, sure. well, I was out of my seat. Okay. What are you supposed to be doing? So like, yeah, I, I get, but then there are other times that I think that he's just being a smart aleck. Uh-huh. And being like, here, look how woody I am. Like, just proving his omniscient being. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, I've i said this before, and I might get chastised for this, but I really don't like the character of Dumbledore as much as I feel like I probably should. I, just, I think that he... And he, he, he's not perfect. He's not omniscient. He will admit to this later on in the story, probably not in the movies because they don't have time for that character development piece, but, right. but he does in the books. But the problem is that like, he's clearly steering them. He has an agenda. He doesn't tell them about the agenda and sometimes not telling them about this agenda puts them in great harm. Now, do they survive? Yes. But again, he's not omniscient. He yeah. doesn't know that they're going to survive in this. So yeah. he's just kind of willingly just throwing it out there and letting them. And did they even really know what he was talking about? Or was it just dumb luck that they stumbled? Like, d- the the thing would say, the story would say that he said exactly the right thing and they knew it and they did it. But did he really? I mean, was this just dumb luck or did he actually guide them with this cryptic message? that I don't even think I understood what he was telling them to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, he said how many times to, to turn the time Yes, runner. that was a direct command, yes. And but what about there, all the crap before then? Well, you know, there there will be two... Oh, you're talking about the uh, sometimes finding a light? Yeah. Oh, I, like, I, I, wish, the, I wish that I had written down what that quote was. It was like, sometimes hope can be found in the darkest of places if you illuminate or something like and that. All you have to do is turn on the light. Yeah. I wish that I had written it down because I think what's going on there... Is again um, beginning of the movie. You have Larry practice. Larry, <laughs> yes, <laughs> you have Larry, Larry over there. <laughs> <laughs> you have Harry practicing his uh, Lumos spell. Yeah. End of movie. You have Harry sort of perfecting his mm-hmm. Patronus spell. Yes. 
So I think that Dumbledore's uh, saying in the middle mm-hmm. was in relation to that, yeah. in terms of you know when the um, Dementors mm-hmm. are sucking out Sirius's soul and they're attacking Harry, and there were a lot of Dementors. Yeah, like, I tried counting, and I was yeah. like, I, no, yeah, but over thirty, uh-huh. which is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Why are they sending that many? Yeah, and unless maybe uh, J.K. Rowling was making some sort of political commentary on sending that many cops after a black <laughs> oh, perhaps serious black serious um sorry but it was it was during that very very dark time mm-hmm. that all harry had to do was turn on yeah. the light yes so are we are we supposed to draw as viewers that that Dumbledore knew Harry was trying to perfect a spell and that there would be Dementors that would suck his soul out? I don't think so. I think it's more of just a... Like a storytelling device? Yeah. But I, again, it's it's a very out of... I don't want to say it's out of place because he's a cryptic being and says cryptic things all the time. But to relate directly to what he's saying to the desired outcome when I don't know that he had all the knowledge, it's just like, okay... Yeah, but I still don't really see what you're trying to say and why this is important. You know what I mean? Right. So, I don't know. It's just, he's he's an interesting character, and and but I really just don't like him. And I don't like the actors that play him either. Like, I really don't. One was kind of frail and feeble, and the other one just seems like he has a chip on his shoulder the whole time. Where in the books, you have more of, like, Santa Claus wizard. But he kind of does have a chip on his shoulder the entire time. Yeah. Well, yes, that's true. He does. So. He does. But you don't see. Well, never mind. I I think that probably the best example of that is, um, is in, is it Order of the Phoenix? Is that the one where, with Dumbledore's army? Uh, yes. Yeah. So I think that that movie is probably the best example of it, mm-hmm. where he's like, oh, things are only going to get worse if I'm, like, being buddy-buddy with all the students, so mm-hmm. I have to be gone. That's the only thing to do. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, made things worse for any number of reasons. Sure. But I think that that is kind of the entire series mm-hmm. of, like, he cares about these kids, and he wants them to do well, and he cares about the other wizards, and he cares about all the other witches, but... He, because he knows all these other things, mm-hmm. knows that he is putting them at risk for whatever. Yeah, sure. You know, because there's other dark stuff out yeah. there besides Voldemort. Sure. So, like, he just knows, I'm putting these people at risk. Mm-hmm. I always have to have arm's distance. I always have to have a chip on my shoulder. Yeah. At least that's my take on it. Yeah, I mean, and that's true. And knowing Dumbledore throughout the whole series, yes, he has family issues, I mean, um, J.K. Rowling has said that he is gay, so clearly there's an isolating mentality of that. Well, at least I would imagine it's isolating, being that it's never talked about in the movies. He's always living alone, you know? So there there is a lot going on, but I think that there's just a difference between the way the actor plays him at this point in the in the movie versus the way that he's portrayed in the books. I just feel like it's it's always just very one-dimensional, always just angry, Always, always that character, but there, you don't really see a lot of the jolly side of him, which is very apparent in certain times, too. Do you think, though, do you think that, that it's one-dimensional, or do you think that uh, as Rowling was writing the books, that it was, yay, here's this book. All right, now what? Uh, I guess this? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I wonder how much of the entire arc mm-hmm. she knew as she was writing. I see. I know that there are elements mm-hmm. that, that she had planned out pretty early on. Yeah. 
Yeah, sure. But there was something. Yeah, yeah, um, but like we talked about last time, Mm -hmm. that she wasn't sure whether Ron and Hermione would get together. Right? Didn't you say that? I don't feel like you said that. Well, if I said it, I don't know that I should have said that because I don't know that part. Maybe I'm thinking of other conversations. I forget who I talk about geek yes. things with sometimes. <laughs> That's, it's natural to assume we talked about it. So yeah, so yeah, like you know, with Ron and Hermione, mm. was that always a thing, or yeah. was she like, ah, which one is he supposed, mm. or which one is she supposed yeah. to be with? Which would then tie with the books of not showing the relationship, <laughs> but the movies foreshadowing that. So right, so yeah. maybe with the books, maybe she didn't know quite mm. how much mm. Dumbledore was going to know or let on or sure. like what role exactly he mm. was going to play. Yeah. But in the movies, you know, you were already a few books in. Yeah. So it's like, all right, we know where this is going. Mm. So we're going to have him be like, oh, I am the principal, yeah. headmaster, whatever. Mm. Yeah, sure. But there's something dark and I need yeah. to keep him just just a little bit. So I, I wonder if it's more of that. I mean, that is a very valid take on the whole thing. And I... I I don't want to be overly harsh. It's impossible to capture everything that you hear in a in a book, like with the characters' monologues and all of that, and for an actor to play it and still be able to do that. So I want to be fair to him, but that doesn't mean I have to like him. <laughs> well, and, and I don't think that it's being harsh, and this is maybe um, more of a personal defense of sure. critiquing things. Okay. Love, love, love Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you can still watch the movies and critique it. Sure. Like, but for me, a part of my love for something mm-hmm. is the ability to watch it with a critical eye mm-hmm. and saying, "All right, even with these things in mind, mm-hmm. I still love this." Yeah. So for me, it's not being like, "Oh, this thing sucks. This is terrible." Uh-huh. It's all right. Sometimes this is stupid. Yeah. Uh, there is something very specific that I probably won't really touch on until uh, Half Blood Prince because mm-hmm. I forgot to talk about it last time. <laughs> okay. And so now it's just an awkward time to bring it up. But there are some things that it's just like, well, that's just dumb. Yes, I... but I still love it. Uh, I at last time I talked about doing the Star Wars marathon. Yeah. Sometimes Star Wars is dumb, like really, really dumb. Yes. But I will still sit through nine mm. movies in a row. Yes. It's, uh, yeah. I, I will I will sit through nine movies, but not in a row. <laughs> not in a row. Uh, Han Solo movie, we'll see how that plays out. But that's that's a different co- podcast conversation altogether. I, I hope that it's not terrible. Yeah. Uh, all right, so just a little bit ago when you're talking about how Dumbledore's gang, mm. um, Lupin's not really a monologue, but his mm. bit at the end about when he's telling Harry why he quit. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I had caught this before or not, but his explanation of why he's resigning, he's like, uh, you know, as soon as the other parents find out about me, you know, all the hours are going to be flying in, mm-hmm. and, you know, they yeah. wouldn't want someone, well, someone like me teaching their kids. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder, not if Lupin was gay, but mm-hmm. I wonder if that was Rowling's way of trying to show mm-hmm. some people have a lot of biases, biases whatever the plural of bias is, yes, <laughs> towards people without really knowing who they are. And, uh, and and I wonder if that was part of what she was trying to do with that scene. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I, that that's a really interesting point because obviously I, I went on that long tirade about the, the, um, the house elves and the liberation for that, which plays a heavy role in the next book. Uh, but not at all in the movies. But she she does seem to like to make a lot of social commentaries about things, and and I I like that 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 is the take that you had because I think that she can use a plot device 
that everybody can understand and feel that sense of just being judged without being known. Like we know from from the movies and from the books that Snape was the one that was giving him potions to be able to keep him from from changing. And so like it was taken care of. He was no danger as long as it was controlled. But yet the students and the parents of the students don't care and they're not going to know about it. They just know that that is what he is. And I don't want my kid near that. Yeah. Well, and sticking with some of those uh, sort of socio-political commentaries, mm-hmm. hadn't even thought about this until just now. Uh, a commentary on the um, the prison and justice system. Yes. In terms of the prison guards for Azkaban prison are dementors. Yes. The guards of the prison are literally sucking out the soul of the inmates. Mm. So, yes, sometimes people do terrible things, yes. and they deserve to be in prison, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. However, sometimes being in prison only makes people worse. Yeah. Yes. And sometimes, like, maybe it was a minor offense, but being yeah. in prison has sucked out their soul. Mm-hmm. Now, how are they supposed to reintegrate with society? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And that is how the Dementors feed. So. Right. In effect, the prison guards are making their, they are sustaining themselves, making their living off of the people who are in prison. Yeah. And I, you know, the Stanford prison experiment, (laughs) which was a bunch of college kids, Mm -hmm. you act like prisoners, Mm -hmm. you act like uh, guards. Mm -hmm. It went south real quick. Like, uh, yeah, completely different psychological uh, study that we don't have time to get into. But even when it's not a real prison, Mm -hmm. like guards feed off of being terrible to prisoners. Mm -hmm. There's research behind that. That's not just. Yes. (laughs) It's not just. No, I've heard of this. Yeah. Yeah. And so I wonder if that is part of what she was trying to do there. Yeah. And she's the type of person that I think I think this is why I enjoy what she does, because it it on one hand, it might be a complete coincidence. But on the other hand it would seem exactly in line with the types of things that she would do. I mean, she she has a progressive agenda that she tries to push. And and so, you know, whether it's intended or not, I think that you could make a valid case for that. I think there's a lot of things you could make a valid case for in this specific movie. And I, I think that I think that these are just things that I didn't pick up on a long time ago that now as I'm older, as I'm rewatching it, as I've read the books now, I've read that one twice. I've seen the movie three times. It's like, wow. There is something to this. You've seen it twice in the last five months. Yeah, that's <laughs> also true. And I've read it in the last five months as well. So, I mean, yeah, there's just, there's a, there's a, a rich, a rich uh, amount of stuff that you could make a claim to. And it'd be like, yeah, I think that could very well be what she was trying to do. I don't want to give her too much credit. You know, she's not Dumbledore, but I mean, <laughs> but I mean, she same time, is. maybe she is Dumbledore. Exactly. Maybe. Yes. <laughs> so maybe she is Dumbledore. I wonder if she speaks in cryptic things when she enters rooms and walks away. Like, uh, I, I follow her. I think I follow her Twitter account. If not, I need to be. Yes. But I've seen her Twitter account often enough to know that, yes, sometimes she does speak in very cryptic ways, <laughs> and amazing. it is usually hilarious when she does. Oh, that's great. That's great. So, so yes. yeah. If, if you don't follow her on Twitter, you, you should. Yes. It's good stuff. I might need to start that. I have 36 Twitter followers. Maybe I need to, you know, get them another one, so. <laughs> um. Yeah, there, there is just so much richness in Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. I mean, the people who have been fans of it for years are obviously going to say that. Sure. But, and, and, and I've loved the movies for, at this point, I don't know, probably over a decade. Mm. But getting more and more into it and seeing more and more. You know, not just like watching the movie and picking up on little stuff yeah. like Buckbeak's poop. Mm-hmm. But like, oh, 
wow, this could be like a really serious commentary that she's trying to make, but without just beating you over the head with it yeah. and being like, this is why you're a terrible person mm-hmm. for not... It, it, it's done in such a way yeah. where you start thinking about these things mm-hmm. without directly being told, oh, this is the conversation that we're having right now. Yeah. Which which I love. Yeah, because a left and a right, <clears throat> like left-leaning views, right-leaning views, if you attach one side, the, the left would say yes, and the right would say, you know, I, I hate that you're doing this. She approaches it from a, from where nobody has a stake, but you can automatically get the feelings and the understanding of the point she's trying to convey, even if she is like left-leaning or right-leaning. And so it's, it's beautiful the way it's conveyed because everybody can relate to this. Nobody feels attacked, but everybody can feel the mentality of what she's trying to get. So, I mean, yeah, if she intended that, it's, it's, it's brilliantly done. Yeah, I... I, I love it. Okay. Uh, so, going in completely the opposite direction, mm-hmm. back to something trivial and dumb. Okay. Towards the beginning, when they're showing up at Hogwarts, mm-hmm. and the choir is singing Something Wicked This Way Comes, uh-huh. which I love. I love that scene. Yeah. Are the f- giant frogs that they're holding, are those supposed to be instruments? <laughs> or are the frogs singing? They're obviously kind of dancing along with it. There's a few little frogs kind of bobbing their heads. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. I don't know. I know that they are they are singing in Universal when we saw the choir and the road people and the frogs were actually singing. But it reminds me, uh, a, f- a friend of mine showed me some sort of weird musical instrument. It was like Anna. It wasn't Anamorph, but it was Anna something. And it's like this thing that has a little head. It looks kind of like Pac-Man. And as you squeeze the head, it makes a noise. And it has a little bar coming out of the top of its head and you cover certain holes and then you squeeze it and it makes different pitches of, of, of light. I obviously wish I knew the more of the name of it, but that's what that reminds me of huh. because they had they do covers on YouTube of like, you know, Africa, and then they have this one up wah 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 and then you have like the other <laughs> instruments making the, the keyboard noises. It's it's wacky. But yeah, so I would say they're instruments in this movie. So you need to get one of those things. I do <laughs> I do. I'm gonna get a theremin. Okay. We are going to start the nerdiest band ever. I like it. I think we could do it. Yeah. Yes. So, all right. I, there's a, there's definitely a bass and a, and a normal one. I wonder if there's a soprano. We could get a third. Yeah. The, the coal miner guy could join us. I, I just want to play a theremin. Oh, the, well, there you the, go. The, the miner can play a saw. Okay. Yeah. That sounds good. So if For the jaw harp. If there are any uh, very old miners who can play either the jaw harp or the saw, preferably both at the same time, would be impressive mm-hmm. please please contact me so that we can put together a band with <laughs> with a theremin and whatever the crap adam was just talking <laughs> That's about right sad i don't know the name of that it's really sad that can take over the internet by storm i think so it'd be terrible yeah, it would be, <laughs> it'd be it'd be a beautiful disaster if i could quote kelly clarkson <laughs> You can quote her, but why would you quote her? It just felt right. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so while we're on the string of just uh, silly and ridiculous, <laughs> sure. Um, this one is going out to the uh, the future or prospective movie directors out there. Mm. I want a spinoff of Sirius Black and Buckbeak. So yeah. But I don't want Sirius Black the person. Uh huh. I want like the buddy cop animal movie with Sirius Black as uh, as his wolf person okay. and and Buckbeak. So so you you want the adventures of of Buck and Black? Yes. So 
blackened buck. Yes. Oh, yes. What what would that even be like? Um I I don't know. Okay. I can tell you that when they have to seek hibernation in the caves later on in the book, it doesn't sound like a very pleasant adventure. Because <laughs> he stays there for weeks and he's feeding Buckbeak like old fish and he has to sneak out his dogs and get table scraps by begging for the hogsmeat people. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> but so, like rather than doing that, uh-huh. um you know, they're like hunting down rogue house elves that escaped without pieces of clothing. Oh, that would be amazing. Okay, yeah. So... <laughs> but, yeah. So it'd be like buck black bounty hunters. Yeah. Like they could hunt down the house elves that broke their treaty or whatever. Right. Yeah. Plus, okay. I just want to see a wolf ride a hippogriff. Okay. All right. I can see that. Like all Teen Wolf style. Like surfing uh-huh. on like... So the wolf would stand on two legs, but being wolf form. <laughs> he would do it very awkwardly. Yes. Hold the, the chain leash in his mouth to make sure it doesn't fall off. Yeah. 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 Sure. That's I could see that. It'd be beautiful. <laughs> oh, Do- man. Doesn't it sound great? It's <laughs> Like, teach kids after school specials about why to stay in school and stay off drugs? Yes. And stay away from prison. Right? Yes. It'll ruin you. Yeah. Oh. Teach little babies potty training? Uh-huh. uh-huh. Don't poop in the woods. Yeah, that's like right. my pal Buckbeak over here. That's right. Oh, gosh. Oh. <laughs> well, on that note... I, I think I figured out why I don't have any listeners. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, goodness. Uh, all right, I'm, I'm looking back through my notes to see if there's any other... Uh, all right, so here's a question. Mm-hmm. And this one's more like actual trying to get more information out of it. Mm-hmm. Wizards who can do magic without their wand. Mm. Like that's supposed to be kind of rare in, in the Harry Potter world, right? Yeah. Without their wand or without speaking? Without their wand. I Yeah, I would think that would be pretty rare. It's it's, it's rarely talked about in the, in the books. So there are a few times in Prisoner of Azkaban where that happens. Yeah. Probably the the biggest one is when Harry is falling and uh, Dumbledore does the yeah. reducto momento whatever. Yeah. The slow down and yeah. don't die. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have his wand. Like, he just yeah. does it with his hand. Well, in that, too, Harry blows up Aunt Marge without his wand in hand as he is uh, speaking. He yeah. pulls it out later to threaten, you know, Uncle Dursley, but he doesn't, uh, yeah. So. And when he goes to Leaky Quald- Quadwin? <laughs> Apparently the leaky cauldron is in Joyzy. Cauldron. Uh, there's that one dude who's stirring his, I, I assume, tea. Yeah. Like, just by twirling his finger. Yeah. And it's stirring the spoon. Yeah. Like, I I thought that wizards weren't supposed to be quite as magical without their wands. I yeah. mean, yes, they're still magical, blah, 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 all that mm-hmm. other stuff. Yeah. But I thought that, like, that was what channeled their power to actually help them focus and do the things that they were wanting to do. Yeah. I actually would have thought that, too. Um, that's, that. yeah, that's really interesting. I don't remember anything about that. Like, I know that they can, I know that it takes a lot of concentration to do a spell without saying it out loud, but to without a wand, I don't, I don't, yeah. I wonder if that was a, a movie Liberty that the director took. 
I mean, possibly just to make things seem yeah. more magical. So uh, you just said that they can do magic without saying the words. Mm-hmm. Like, that is addressed in the books? Yes. Okay. Because this was the first movie where I started seeing them yeah. do spells without mm. having to say anything. Yeah. Yeah, but it's 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 advanced. Um, it actually happens in the sixth book when they're at Defense Against the Dark Arts. And they're specifically told, you've, you've done these spells, but now... You need to do it without speaking it, which takes a enormous amount of concentration. And the advantages of that is that they, your opponent, doesn't know what is coming at them. So for them to be able to deflect it, it gives that quarter of a second advantage to you because you can then shoot something to completely their surprise. Now, the biggest curses, my understanding is they there isn't a wizard powerful enough to do that. Like even uh, Voldemort, he he specifically speaks the killing curse when he's going to say it, but um. But yeah, so so that is a precedent for it, but it definitely takes concentration. So when Lupin stands up in the train cart and does the uh, Expecto Patronum without saying it, um, that would be something he would be able to do, I would imagine. So um, Okay. Yeah, yeah. that, that makes a lot of sense, because especially in the later books... Um, actually, w- when did you say that happens? Which in book? book six is when the students start learning it. But in book five... Well, movie five, the the Order of the Phoenix, you yeah. see wizard battles, and they are just shooting b- back and forth. And Harry then asks a question to whoever he's with, and he says, I don't hear them saying anything, and that's when they impart, you know, a wizard can do this or whatever. But you don't really have that knowledge until... So, yes, technically that was perfectly legitimate, even if the movies moved up that part a little bit. It right. Wasn't out of place. Which, I mean, makes sense, because sure. especially when they're running through the uh, little oracle uh, yeah. things... Mm-hmm. Um, Prophecy, yeah. yeah. Like, when they're going through the prophecy room, man, that would really slow down the pace if they were all having to yell at each other when casting oh, yeah. their spells. Yeah. But, yeah, so that that, that makes sense that they, uh, that they did that then. Yeah, and how long does it take to, to say Expelliarmus? You know, whereas if you could just do it and shoot it out. I mean, right. there's a lot of lag where they're going to know what's coming as soon as you start to say it. So. Right. Well, it's kind of like uh, when you read. You're mm-hmm. When you're reading to yourself, you're not supposed to actually read at the speed like you're saying the words in your head. Yeah. Because that really slows you down. Oh, yes. <laughs> and I, I still haven't learned how to not do that. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because I like putting myself into, you know, like mm-hmm. pretending like I'm telling myself a story. Yeah. But yeah, yeah sure. like I, I cannot read and just soak up the information. Mm. But I know that that's one of the things that slows people down when they read. Yeah. Is you're not supposed to read it at the same speed that you talk. Mm. Yes. I definitely do read it at the same speed I talk. It takes me forever to read. Probably why I don't read that often. But, sure, sure. Yeah, sure. But you know, that, that makes sense. Um, but, but I revel in the books, dang it. <laughs> Every Zonko's joke is absorbed, permeated through me. <laughs> As well it should be. Yes. Uh, you and uh, you and Christina were talking earlier, and I didn't fully know what you were talking about. To so the Marauders map, yes. And you said that that was um, James and uh, and Remus Lupin and Sirius Black and Peter Pettigrew. So, like, why are their names on it? What's going on with that? So, like, was it their map? Yes, it was their map. They actually, um, interestingly enough, they were like what the Weasley twins are back in the back in that time of Harry's dad's thing. So they were like the practical jokers always getting into trouble. Uh, James was kind of a bully, um, right. especially to, to Snape. And you see a lot more of that in the books and, and just how horrible he is. It actually sends Harry into a mini crisis at some point in time. Like maybe my dad was a horrible person kind of deal, but yeah. Um, so they, I, I don't know if they talked about how they developed it or how, the twins knew how to work it. I don't remember how they even figured that part out. 
but they did actually take it from Filch or nicked it from Filch, as they like to say in their right. terms. Yeah. And but yeah, that was all of their work, and they did it specifically so they could see where teachers were, so they could find secret passages and get out and go to the Shrieking Shack, which is underneath the um, the the Whomping Willow. So that actually goes when when they're in the room, they go under the tree and they actually <coughs> appear in the Shrieking Shack. Right. And so um so in Hogsmeade, yeah. So they would go there all the time. That's where they would chain up uh, Lupin when he was doing his uh, transformations as a werewolf. Uh, to keep him safe from people. And sometimes Sirius Black would lay there with him just for solidarity's sake. Right. Yes. Yeah, I, I never knew that. Yeah. That, it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, they they were the practical jokers. The so, uh, who, who are the people? It's uh, something, Padfoot, Wormtail, and yeah. Prong. Yeah. Who's who's the first one? So, it's it's Mooney, which would be Remus Lupin for the, the, moon. the moon. Yeah. Right. Um, Padfoot because the, the, the pads, pads on, on the, the dog. Feet, yes, like that would be Black. Prongs for the stag, which was James Potter. And the um, worm tail because yeah. of the rat. Yeah, exactly, because it looks like a worm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so there oh. you go. That adds uh, a lot of depth, depth yeah. to it. It's too bad they don't go into more detail. The Marauder's Map is is, is a fascinating thing, and, and that plays a lot more into it. I know you see it throughout the movie somewhat, but it's a very deep part of how, of, of how they get around and how they do things in the later books as well. Yeah. So. Well, and that makes sense why then Lupin, when he sees it, like mm-hmm. instantly knows what it is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And he knows to hold on to it. So, yeah. But I think he had other reasons for wanting to hold on to it than what he alluded to in the movies. But Well, yeah, probably. Yeah. So, but yeah. So it's interesting. Huh. The more you know. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, like when you read the books and actually find that stuff out. Sure. <clears throat> Uh, all right. It, was there anything else that I had on here that, um, I say this all the time. The only disappointment I really have when you take a movie like that in a book is how disjointed it feels. And maybe it just feels disjointed because I've read the books, but it just feels like they jump from thing to thing. Like they go to the class and then they're at this other place and then maybe they're back in another class and then they go to another class then there's a word, where did you come from, Hermione? And then they go back to another class. Maybe there's a conversation. Maybe there's this. Maybe there's that. It just feels like they're just floating all over the place. And there isn't really any any rhyme or reason why they're there other than just to have characters all of a sudden appear and say things. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it just feels disjointed to well, me. And, and I think some of that is, yeah, some of it is definitely, well, like we have talked about, mm. when you have the narrative of the book sure. and you can sit down and read the book over a span of however long, mm. uh, first off, you have time to do that. Mm. But also, most people don't sit down and read the book in one sitting. Yeah. And so sometimes there have to be some of those conversations to remind you, hey, this thing is also going on. Mm. Remember, because yeah. we're talking about it now, the mm-hmm. thing that... So there's some of that going on yeah. in terms of the book. With the movie, you sit down, you watch all of it at once. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, like we've talked about... Yeah. Plenty of time with books, mm. not as much time in the movies. Did it feel disjointed to you? I can't separate the book from the movie anymore. It doesn't feel disjointed to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, there might be a few things where it's like jumping to this, jumping to this. Mm. But it feels more like, all right, we have this overarching narrative that we're trying to tell. Mm-hmm. While we also have to show these other things. Sure. How are we going to make that happen? Mm-hmm. You know, like, like they had to have... Uh, the relationship between Harry and Buckbeak because that's how they saved Sirius at the end. Sure. So you had to spend time with them going out into the woods and mm-hmm. doing that whole piece and having him fly on Buckbeak. So mm-hmm. it, 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 to me, feels more like we have to get all of these things set mm-hmm. up 
Yeah. So that then we can resolve them towards the end. Yeah. You know, we have to have them in this class to show that they're learning this piece. We have mm-hmm. to have them in this class to show that they're learning this piece. Yeah. So, yeah, it doesn't really feel quite as disjointed to me. Okay. Did, I, I, I don't know. Does it bother you that they have different actors playing the characters in different movies? For instance, Cedric Diggory, and I could be wrong on this, so some so the angry coal miner can correct me, but <laughs> if Cedric Diggory was the seeker of um, of Hufflepuff, he was the one that was in that was riding next to Harry in the, the rainstorm where he, you know, falls off the broom and, and whatever. Uh, well, that was not the character that played Cedric, Cedric Diggory in the next movie. It wasn't the sparkly vampire. It was another person. See, they never named him in this one. So I didn't know that was supposed to be the same person. Yeah. And I guess you wouldn't know if the book Crab and Goyle, um, Malfoy's two henchmen. Um, I don't know if it's Crab or Goyle, but he's the same. But then this other random lanky dude is not the same one that appears in the later movies. Well, and... The- Again, I can't remember if this was you or someone else saying mm. that one of them, either Crab or Goyle, like had a serious drug pro- drug problem, and so like that's why they're not in the later movies is because they were in rehab and like couldn't be a part of the movie. Oh, okay, so that wasn't you. No, so I, I didn't hear heard, that part. So I had heard. I don't know whether or not this is accurate, uh-huh. but that one of them, yeah, was like just way on drugs, and so they were huh. like, yeah, you can't be in the movie anymore. Yeah, I could see but, that. Beginning of this movie, you do see Crab and Goyle. You do see both of them. Yes, but one of them Towards is a different the middle actor. Of the, still the same actor. No, well, I mean, okay, same actor in this movie, but, but later to, movies. Well, later in the movie, like, then it changes to that other lanky henchman. Yeah. Like, in, in um, Prisoner of Azkaban, you see both Crab and Goyle in the beginning. Okay. But by middle of the movie, you yeah. only see one of them and then this other dude. So yes, like by the that time is true. The yes, shack, you're right. You're right. It is someone different. Huh. So maybe it was during this movie that maybe. they were like, "Yeah, it must have been because yeah. the other guy returns in the later movies as well." So I don't know, and I, I know most people would because they're so small in that in that thing. Another thing we don't get to talk about is how whiny Malfoy is about the arm and oh the um, and the, the 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 hippogriff. He. Um, like he milks that arm all throughout the book. Like he he gets out of he gets out of being um, out of out of being in the the Quidditch match that that Slytherin and Huff and uh, Gryffindor are playing. Um, he blames the arm, but what he does in the process is him and Crab and Goyle wear um, Dementor outfits and try to scare Harry on the broom to make him try to faint to like cost him the match. Well, Harry ends up, you know, expect a Patronian, patroning them and then like sending them off and like causing them great injury or whatever. But sure. he like three or four specific instances in these books. He's just whining about his arm. Well, he whines during everything. He does. But it's, it, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, sorry. So as much as I hate Draco. Yes. Terrible, terrible person. Mm-hmm. He is supposed to be hated. All this other stuff. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about how uh, James mm-hmm. seems a little bit more like Draco. Yeah. Than uh, uh, yeah. Severus does and whatever. Yeah. Uh, did you pick up on the similarities between Draco and Ron in this one? So Draco gets his arm hit, and mm-hmm. then when they're in the Great Hall, and the uh, that one Slytherin girl is there, I forget yeah. what her name is, mm-hmm. uh, and he's like, and, yeah. oh, my arm, blah, 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 it almost took it off, mm. and she's like, oh. Yeah. And then later, you see Ron doing the same thing about his foot to Hermione. Ah, yes. I I didn't pick up on that, but that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I think that towards the end of this movie is where Ron turns into a turd. So 
<laughs> yes, he does have turd-like qualities later Be- on. Because, not later on, next movie. Well, yeah. <laughs> be- well, I guess that's what I mean, yes. <laughs> the beginning of Goblet of Fire, we start getting Growly Ron. Oh, he is so bad in 6, too. Him and Hermione have, like, a... They, they're not speaking for most of the book. Oh, it's and it's over the stupidest reasons. We can talk more about that later, obviously, but... Yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah. Next I episode is going to be a lot of me complaining about Growly Ron. That's fine. It'll take away me complaining about Dumbledore for a little while, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> so, I know I whine and moan about the books and the movies, but the movies do a very good job of capturing the important events. I wish there was more Quidditch because that's so important to Harry and it's so important to who his character is. The fact that he plays the same position his dad played in in the team and how much he identifies with his father in doing that. But, I mean, it does a really good job of getting what needs to get you know, caught in the movie to make a, a good tangible movie. Yeah. Well, and, and again, like you have a sampling of here's this giant world of mm-hmm. stuff. Let's take little bits and pieces, Yeah. which is why even just like, uh, uh mentioning the fantastic beasts, mm-hmm. like this is one of the books that you have to read. Yeah. And then, Oh, here's this entire movie about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, so much about this entire world. It's yeah. like, Oh, we can have an entire other movie with this, we can go into all of this backstory. We can learn mm-hmm. about all of this. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, of course, you're not going to get quite as much. Sure. Also, J.K. Rowling, I want that uh, spinoff book of Buckbeak and Sirius. Yes, Buck Black. I'm I'm serious about this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh! Yes. Uh... Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> now, now, speak your mind. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. <clears throat> all right, we're done. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, all right, that that's pretty much everything I can think of, except for one last, not really Harry Potter related, but still kind of, sort of. Mm-hmm. Aunt Petunia uh-huh. is played by Fiona Shaw. Yes. Last night, I watched Super Mario Brothers. Why? Because that movie is awesome. Okay. Sorry, continue. With Bob Hoskins and uh-huh. John Leguizamo yes. and Dennis Hopper. Yeah. I love that movie. I love that movie oh so gosh. much. It is not a, quote, good movie. It is not a great adaptation of a video game, for sure. Oh, no, it is a terrible adaptation yes. of the video game. But I love it because it's that early 90s let's make terrible adaptations time. Like I, I said earlier, I want to do a, uh, a movie marathon uh-huh. of Judge Dredd. The one with uh, Sylvester Stallone. Oh, I know what you're talking about, yes. Howard the Duck and Super Mario Brothers. Mm. Mm. (laughs) That'll make me so happy. That'll be like mental heartburn. Like, that's just terrible. But, like, so many good things. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, in Howard the Duck, you get duck boobs. Uh, In Judge Dredd, Mm -hmm. which the entire thing about Judge Dredd is you are supposed to, like, never see his face. His homework is on the entire series of the comics. Uh Uh-huh. Now, five minutes in, hey, let's go ahead and take your mask off, Sylvester Stallone. (laughs) I don't know anything about Judge Dredd, but I find that hilarious. It is. Oh, God. It is terrible. And I love it so much. Oh, gosh. Fiona Shaw. Mm Mm-hmm played the i don't know if it's supposed to be the wife or but just like the main bad woman that I, I again i don't know if it's the wife or girlfriend or whatever yes to like, king koopa okay by uh, dennis hopper uh-huh so koopa's side hustle hustle right yes she is aunt petunia oh 
Yeah, that's that's. <laughs> How old is she? That movie was well. Like actually, it's I guess ninety three. So that was twenty five years ago. Yeah, but in fairness, I right. guess this yeah. movie was what like early two thousands. Yeah, so I guess that was really only 10 years after. Yeah, so not too much later. years, maybe. Yeah. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Uh, does she, like, have the same personality? Uh, she is terrible. Okay. But it's a different kind of terrible. Okay. Uh, spoilers on a 25-year-old movie. <laughs> yes. She stabs Yoshi. Oh. I wish that the internet and anyone listening could see Adam's face. Oh, no. (laughs) There was so much genuine just surprise and sadness. Oh, that's like when I found out that in the actual book Pinocchio, Pinocchio smashes and kills Jiminy Cricket with a hammer in the the fourth chapter. (laughs) Yeah, fairy tales get dark. You're not kidding. Uh, But yeah, Aunt Petunia stabs Yoshi in the neck. Huh. Wow. It's sad. Oh, yeah. Does Yoshi make it? Yeah, he makes it. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. I mean, if we're going to go into spoilers, then yeah. Yeah. He he survives. But he's so cute. He's a little, like, three-foot dinosaur. Yeah. It's kind of what he sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, so she's terrible. Jess and I both love Super Mario Brothers. Mm -hmm. And last night, when Yoshi first showed up on the screen, simultaneously, we went, aww. We need a pet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, all right, that that's all that I have Harry Potter related. Uh, any final thoughts about Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban? No, it's it's definitely a different adventure from a book, but it's still a very good movie, um, especially now watching it after being older and you know seeing more of the nuances and subtleties, like all the clocks and how big of a theme the time plays into it. It's just a lot of nods that they threw in there that you wouldn't overtly notice and you wouldn't have paid attention to necessarily watching it for the first time but it makes so much sense and adds a lot of richness to the overall theme and environment of the movie uh clocks i don't remember if we talked about this before or after i hit record Mm. um but when hermione uses the time turner and they go back in time yeah like there is a ticking the entire time that it's with them Mm. so like if it's showing other people you you don't really hear it but yeah with them you hear a ticking clock the entire time it's really subtle yeah but but yeah it's good. I can't remember if I said that before or after. Yeah, so I don't remember either, but it's, it's good stuff. It's late and I'm tired. Yes, I understand. Uh, yes, Prisoner of Azkaban, I, I love it. I love Gary Oldman, um, which is playing serious, and so he's fantastic. Uh, I really like the dude that plays Lupin. Mm-hmm. Just re- really, really good actors in this one. Yeah. So it's it has always been one of my favorites, probably because... It's starting to get darker, but it still has some of that innocence and fun yeah. and humor. Um, and the clown, which is supposed to be the... Yeah, so when the girl turns the giant cobra, the thing that she's scared of, into something ridiculous, it is a super creepy clown yeah. jack-in-the-box, which to me is even scarier. Perhaps if it had been a smaller size, it wouldn't have been the same thing. But the fact that it is a, like, ten-foot-tall jack-in-the-box with this... Deli- oh. Yeah. Mm. With the really long fingers. Yeah. And, like, really slowly going towards Harry. And yeah. Just, oh, yeah. Super yeah, creepy. That's, so I, I love the uh, the mix between some of the creepier, darker parts, but mm-hmm. also still keeping some of that yeah. humor. This one's still fun to watch. Yeah. I... You can actually sort of relate to the characters here, whereas I was very far removed from my 12-year-old self when the first two books were around. So, yeah. 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 I I love it. It's one of my favorites. 
Plus, they have frogs singing along with something wicked this way comes. That might be instruments. Yeah. Which, if they're instruments, how are they being played? I don't want to think about that. Uh, all right. So, that's been it for this episode of the Gargoyle Podcast. Um... If you've been following me, you know that there are other episodes that I'm doing in between each of these, if I have time to record them. Uh, but we're going to keep doing the Harry Potter series. We still have five movies to go? Four movies? Five movies? Five movies. We still have five movies to go. Uh, and, and then Adam and I have talked about doing other series, yeah. like Lord of the Rings and Star Wars. We could do Fantastic Beasts and make it six more movies if we wanted to go that route. We could do that. Or wait till the series is done. But yes, we will definitely hit Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. And there, there, are, there are a few other series that uh, Adam and I have talked yeah. about, so hopefully we'll have lots more of those episodes. Um, but hopefully you're enjoying these. Yeah. I'm, I'm enjoying doing them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I am too. And, and hopefully Jethro the coal miner is really getting along with <laughs> us as well. He has a name now? Yeah. I mean, we, of course. <laughs> Jethro, you, you you don't take that lying down, buddy. We, we record for an audience of one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it, it'll be probably another month uh, until we do Goblet of Fire. But, uh, but, yeah, keep checking back, not just for that, but for other episodes. Um in case you're... I, I don't know where people listen to this because it's on a few different things. Sure. So it is on Stitcher and iTunes and Google Play. Uh, just do a search for The Gargoyle. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Again, just do a search for The Gargoyle. G-A-R-G-Y-L-E because Gargoyle wearing an Argyle sweater. Of course. Uh, or you can just find links to all of this at gargoylereviews.blogspot.com and just link out to the rest of the social medias and other episodes. So, uh, so yeah. That's been it. And until next time, you can always find me for Geekery and Harry Potter about. Woohoo. Woohoo. <laughs>